Hey everyone, Dave Broadback here. This is the uh, audio for a lecture uh, in Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It used to be called Design and Analysis 1, but we didn't think that name was scary enough. Also check out the uh, YouTube uh, videos of uh, these uh, lectures. I guess I've now just committed myself to doing the YouTube videos. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel and you can find them there. Or also at my blog, people.ac.ca slash broadback slash blog. If you like statistics, oh, you're going to love this. I noticed yesterday when I was listening back to some of my old lectures that every stats class I started out like this. Okay, so I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to talk about, like I said, there's two short ones today, one on postdocs and one on transformations. So, okay, let's say you've got a significant house. Did I just say okay? Yeah. yeah. See, I do it. It's, it's, it's instinctive. It's, it's, uh, it happens to me. I'm sorry. I apologize to the listeners and all the people throughout the world. Um, and babies. Also to babies and puppies. I don't know. I've said before, I'm just trying to entertain myself at this point. You have a significant F. Now what do you do? So you found out, remember the F has the no hypothesis of an analysis variance is that Mu1 equals mu2 equals mu3 equals dot 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 equals mu k. Just that all the means are equal. And then when you get the a significant f, all that says is that isn't true. It just says at least two of the means are different. Right? So there's our HO. But our HA doesn't say which two are different. We don't know that. Which two means are different from each other? Or maybe they're all different from each other. Or maybe two are different and one is the same. Three of these things are not like the others. It's like Sesame Street. It's you probably changed Sesame Street by now, right? So you don't even know that. You know what Sesame Street is. My cultural references are there. I may as well be talking about the 1940s. Uh, when all this was developed. See? I tied it back to the class. That's what a good teacher got. So but that's a question you might want to know, right? Like the, the null hypothesis is that all the means are different. Uh, sorry, the same. The HA is that at least two are different. But they say which two. And you might want to know that. You might not want to. Right? You might look at something. Oftentimes, you'll, you'll have, like, say, two control groups and an experimental group. And you'll go, well, it's pretty clear the experimental group's way up here. These two are way down here. Not really interesting to go any further. I know the two control groups should be the same, and the difference is here. I can see it. I'm not an idiot. I can read a graph. Get game over. But you might want to do something else. So one of the procedures, the probably the simplest procedure, is called the Bonferroni. The Bonfer you ever had the Bonferroni? It's just delicious. But I made that joke. I totally for me, as most of them are. So you could do a whole bunch of t-tests, couldn't you? But that would kind of defeat the purpose of the analysis variance. So if you did a bunch of t-tests, the alpha level goes up, right? Because you're making all these comparisons. Yes? Make sense? So if, I'm, if I have three groups, now I've got to compare group one to group two, group two to group three, and group one to group three, I have three t-tests. If I do, let's say, 20 t-tests, let's say, and that, that could happen with about... 
practice for Roughly with four groups, you're starting to get close to doing like 15, 20 t-tests if you're comparable. Wow. If I need more than 20 and I have an alpha level of 0.05, almost definitionally at this point, I have one that is just by random chance, just because of the way statistics works. I find a significant difference that actually isn't one. So what I want to do, what the Bonferroni procedure does, is it takes this into account. The Bonferroni Q procedure basically just changes the alpha level. It's 1 over n times alpha. And n is the number of what are called corrections, the number of comparisons you do. Now, you might not do all the possible comparisons. Like, if you were interested, like I said, in, you have, say, three, let's say four groups, but three of them are control groups. And you might think, when the hell does that happen? A lot of times in drug studies that happens. So you've got one group that's given the drug, and let's say they're rats, to make this easy. So one group is rats, they're given the drug. One group is rats, not given the drug. One group is rats, given a sham injection, so they're given... They're picked up, they're shown the needle, and they're not injected. And then the final group is they're picked up, shown the needle, and injected the same way. Those are four, or sorry, three control groups. All I care about is a different than one of the control groups. So I might be just doing one. Maybe I'm doing two. Is it different than the regular control and the same control? So instead of maybe doing five tests or something, I'm, I'm just doing two. So that would be N in this case is two. And then it just corrects the alpha level, and then you're just doing a t-test. Okay? So it's just a t-test. It's called t-prime. So the little thing is there. And it's just x bar 1 minus x bar 2 divided by the square root of 2 times d squared error over n. And why is it 2? Well, remember when you add two variances together, if we were doing a two-group t-test, we have s squared sub 1 over n1 plus s squared sub 2 over n2. That's all we've done here. We've got the s number variance twice. And then you look up in what's called a Bonferroni table, or frankly, your software does it for you. You just choose Bonferroni as one of the it calls post hocs. And it tells you what's significant. If, which comparisons you Okay? That's the most basic one. I'm never going to ask. No one does this by hand. Don't worry about it. Shouldn't have no word but re- uh, memorizing any formulas or anything like that. I may ask you what a quiz, what a postdoc test is. Pretty good guess, actually, that I ask you that. But I'm not going to say what's the formula for the Bonferroni T procedure, because I don't know it unless I look at it. Okay. Yes? What do you mean by the number of corrections? So it's the number of comparisons you do. Okay. Yep. Because you're correcting the alpha level, that's why it's called a correction. So if it's like, if you're doing 3, it's going to be 1 over 3 times 0.05. So now it becomes uh, 0.15, 0.015, sorry. Right? That's wrong. So will that, will that change this t-test, or does the t-test make them the same? The t-test is going to look like this. That, that's how you're going to calculate it. It's going to change the alpha level of the t-test you're doing. You can see there's an issue here that if you're doing enough comparisons, these t's become so small, these sort of the alpha levels become so small that it's, you can't find a difference even if it's there. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is used when you're going to compare, you've got maybe five, six groups, and you want to compare three of them or two of them only after you've found a significant. You could do this. That should look vaguely familiar. It looks exactly the same as the other one, except instead of two times mean square error, I just got mean square error. And I'm comparing the largest mean 
to the smallest mean, and I get a value called the studentized range, and I get a value called Q, and it knows everything and it runs the universe. Star Trek, nobody, and moving on. You then look up to see in a table um, what this value, this gives you a value, this studentized range, and then you say, okay, how big is the number? It gives you like a, a range of how big the, 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 the largest to the smallest one. Are they different? So it just gives you like a, let's say it's a seven, and then that means all means greater than, mean different by more than seven, if it looks like you looked at on the table, um, are significantly different from each other. Again, it's still not Come on! Pretty straightforward. Sure. It's just, again, this is how it's calculated. No one's going to ever ask you to do that. Or you can do what's called the student Newman Cools test. This is um, in the few times that I've played with analysis variants uh, you know, with anger, so actually for research, uh, this is what I've used. And it looks like this you look up a Q value, again, in the table. R is the number of comparisons you're doing. 0.05 degrees of freedom, and you get this W value, and that just tells you how big a W sub R. That's the range. Okay. So any set of comparisons with range of R, it gives you a number. So the, the, the value you get out is like 11, and that means all means that differ by at least 11 are different, significantly different from each other. So any set of comparisons with range R. Or let's say three instead of eleven. <laughs> There's another one like this, which is called the one that Tukey developed, which is exceedingly similar to this. It just uses the largest range. This is going to be. It looks a lot like, or it looks just like this, uh, but it always uses the largest possible range, largest to smallest, and. HSD stands for honestly significantly different. It actually does. Because 2D was clever. Because there's another test called the LSD test. It's not about acid, it's least significant difference. And then 2D came along and said, I'm going to be clever. And I'll call it like, honestly significantly different. Basically, all these things are doing, they're all. It's, they're all Variations on t tests, basically, because you can always see that you're, there's a term in every formula that has the square root of mean squared error divided by n. So a square root of variance divided by n, which is what a t test always has. They're just variations on t tests. That's all they are. Now, I will say that there is that some people. Um, and those people, kind of include me, believe that this is all a waste of time. That that's a philosophical thing. If you were interested in a comparison between this group and this group over here, just do that damn experiment. That's my view. Because what they know is going to give you is, what is the, what's the pattern in your data look like? Is it different than everything is the same? So if that's the question you're asking, that's all you should care about. 
right? But that's what's called the minority opinion. <laughs> Most people want you to do post-hoc tests. It's a minority opinion I learned from my stats prof in grad school. That's part of what I I, I, and I have great respect for him, and he knows more about stats than I do, so I figure he's probably right. I wouldn't worry a great deal about these things. They're easy to do. You might ask yourself, though, which comparison should I use? Well, you know, most people do, <laughs> do all of them and find out which one fits their, their data. That's not what you're supposed to do. Right? That's getting perilously close to something called p-hacking, which is when it's like, oh, p's at 0.06? Well, let's run more subjects until it gets to 0.05. Don't do that. That's kind of what we're doing here. Um, I'd stick to one in a paper. So if you're writing a paper, or doing your thesis, don't say, uh, then I went over to this one, and then uh, in this experiment, I'm using different postdoc tests. The first thing I'm going to look at that when I read that is, why? And then the answer you would give probably is, well, it showed what I thought it would here, that the other one fits with my hypothesis here. And then that means you're being a dishonest jerk. So stick with the same one. Um, I've used HST. A lot of people use that, but the other ones are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. HSD is probably the least... It's in the middle as far as how conservative it is. Bond throwing is very conservative test. When you get, you get the number of um, groups get large, because the correction, uh, the alpha level gets really small. So it's hard to find differences. Um, uh, Newton-Cools is a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more liberal. HSD is a little more liberal than that. Then there are ones that are even way more that they find. Sometimes, by the way, this is why I don't like these things. Sometimes you will have a significant F and none of the, the post-hoc tests show you that the groups are different. And it's like, well, how can that be? Other times, if you take data where you've done analysis variance and you find an effect so you find no effect, but then the hell what you use postdocs, sometimes they find significant effects that literally aren't there. This is why I don't trust these things. I'm not big on these things. Nonetheless, let's make them wrong, and you will usually be asked, even, you know what, like, let's say that you do a thesis with me, and you do an analysis variance, and I'm going to say, I don't care about postdoc tests. If the pattern looks good, it's exactly what we expected. And then you're going to go do your practice talk, in front of the other faculty members when you nail down how you do on your for your, for your public uh, lecture on your public presentation on your talk and if you haven't done one someone's going to say well do you need postdocs and then you get to watch me get into an argument with Cheryl about postdoc tests which is not fun for you to see so you just do it alright questions about that stuff so there's one short lecture for today So the other thing I want to talk about today is transforming your data. Um, sometimes you look at your data with EDA, right? Corporate uh, data analysis, which I really encourage. Uh, and you see what looks like a difference. I mean, it's clear when you look at a graph. These groups are different from each other. You see that. It's obvious. And then you do your ANOVA and you literally get nothing. Uh-oh. 
we had nothing, that means none of the groups are different. We can't reject HO, and then we, we uh, never publish our thesis. Uh, we never publish our paper, and then we never get, uh, we get, we don't get tenure, and we have to find a new job. That's, that's, you know, that's not quite. Maybe you violated an assumption. The other day, when I was talking about yoga, remember I said that, what if you got an F less than one? And it's like, well, you shouldn't ever get an F less than one. But you can, because you violated an assumption. Because the assumptions say that you can't get an F less than one. Like the math behind me, F test says you can't get an F less than one, but it, it, it assumes a couple of things. And one of the things it assumes, one of the ones we can fix with the transformation is the homogeneity of variance assumption. It's probably the case, it isn't necessarily the case, but it's probably the case that when you see a difference but you don't detect it with your statistical test, that the variances are so different that you violate the homogeneity of variance assumption. That's usually what the problem is. And I can think back to an example uh, of one of my honor students, geez, back in 2008, Shauna Barrett, who's now Dr. Shauna Barrett. And Shauna, uh, her thesis was on swearing, which makes complete sense if you've met Shauna. Um, she literally greets me with, or signs all emails that she sends to me with, and by the way, I fucking hate you. <laughs> which is fine. We're good friends. But, I think we are. Maybe she actually hates me. But, we looked at the data and it's like, oh, this is great. We found something. And she's like, that's, this is great. Except there was, she like ate F-bombs in that sentence when she said it. And then she went and did the analysis and she came back and she said, it didn't fucking work. And I said, oh. Oh, of course. It's probably the violation. We probably violated the assumption. I bet we can transform these and we'll fix it. And we did and everything was fine. So it does happen. You like that transition? Pretty nice, right? So what can you do? You can transform your data. Basically what you're doing is, through some mathematical operation, you are changing the numbers. When I, and I don't, well, I teach intro I do sometimes. If, I, if the average is too low on an intro test, I update the marks. That's a transformation. People, people who they first, first blush say, that doesn't seem fair. You can just change your numbers. So I'm not changing them arbitrarily. Right? I'm not changing them arbitrarily. I'm changing them all the same way. So my answer to this is it is so. <laughs> like, let's say I took all the scores that I had and I multiplied them all times... 9 fifths and added 32. Do you know what I'm doing if I do that? Yeah, what? Well, you're changing the Celsius to Celsius. Celsius to Fahrenheit. That's all I'm doing. Good man. So if you ever really want to know what the temperature is uh, when you're in the States, if you want to know it in, in freedom-loving degrees instead of... A, 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 um, warmongering lackeys of the capitalist degrees. Sometimes I can talk like I'm from North Korea. Uh, multiply it times five nights and subtract 32. That's all you're doing. Okay. 
inches to, you guys did this. I wrote for the first assignment, inches to centimeters. It's like, well, that doesn't seem right. Well, it's the same thing. Okay, so you're just changing the units you're measuring with. All you So, the first thing you can do is called the log transformation. Well, the first one I'll talk about, so the first one you do. You don't just try all of them. Just keep doing random mathematical things to it until we get a significant effect. Don't do that, right? So, take the logarithm of the number, pulls down big ones much more than it pulls down small ones. Do you remember logarithms? Remember hearing about logarithms in school? No? They don't teach you anything anymore. Okay. So if you did like... That number there, so the logarithm of 10,000 is 4. Logarithm of 1 is 0. Logarithm of uh, 100 is 2. What, do you see what, what that's doing? Do you remember this? Remember doing this? Right, it's the power, this, this is log base 10. So I'm taking what power, 10 to the what power equals that number. Right? So 10 to the 4th gives you 10,000. 10 to the 0 gives you 1. Yes, a 0 exponent gives you a 1. Dude. Something you probably learned in high school math and went, why? And your teacher probably said, that's just how it works. And that's about all I know about how it works, right? 10 squared equals 200. Or sorry, 10 squared equals 200. 10 squared equals 100. But you see, it's taken 10,000 down to 4, and it's taken 100 down to 2, and it takes 1 down to 0. Now, we don't usually use base 10 logs. I'm just doing this to show you. So if you, on your calculator, it might say log. The one you're actually looking for if you were to do this is this. Log. The natural logarithm. And that's the logarithm with the base e. Remember, remember, remember E showed up early on in the course? Not ecstasy. I'm sure some of you were on ecstasy during the class. I saw some interesting looks in your face. So you had glow sticks. <laughs> some No? There weren't internet. It's not that fun school. Um, yeah, that'd be a great school. People are, people are literally on ecstasy during stats class. That'd be... <laughs> and there's horrible Euro trash dance music in the background. <laughs> Everybody fails the course, but they love everybody, so it's great. And three people over us. But so there's a dark side. I'm saying there'd be a dark side. This is called padding. These are short talks today. Uh, but e is the natural logarithm. It's basic natural logarithm. It's two point seven one eight two eight one eight. It's like it's a constant in math. It's like like pi. Okay. So usually we do that, and a lot of things in nature, that's why it's called the natural logarithm. Um, logarithmic functions in nature tend to be base e. So you would do the base e, not the base 10 log. So reaction time. If you have an exponential curve, it's the opposite of an exponential, right? So if you've got a curve that does this, well, that's turned into a straight line by log, uh, log transformation. 
oh, you can't take a logarithm of a negative number. Your calculator will just look at you and it will give you that error thing because you can't. So it's like, what if I have negative numbers? What's the lowest negative number you have? Five. Okay, add six to all of them first. Then take the log. Nothing wrong with that. You just can't have negative numbers. You can't take logs as negative numbers. So that would be log of x plus k. K is just a constant. So that's one transformation you can do. It's really easy. And again, with SPSS, if you're doing this, you created a variable, and you just define the variable saying, take all these and take the batch of logarithm of those, and then it just shows up in the next column. Easy. Say, yeah, right. um, what you said about the curve again? Oh, if it's an exponential curve, wait. Want to put that? Yeah. One of the things you always want to do is make every because then you get a whole bunch of variance. Think about this. If we've got an exponential curve, looks like that. There's not going to be much variance around here because they're all right around zero, right? But as the number gets bigger, the variance is going to get bigger. But when the numbers are getting so much, you're going to get really like the variance here might be up to here, down to there. You don't want that. But down here, it's just really small. Want to pull this down a whole lot? Just do a, a logarithm. I did that actually on the wall though, because I, I had done that in 1997 and they've erased it. So it was back. <laughs> the funny thing was, I left here in 1998 and I came back here in 2004. I walked into the room and I looked at it. That's still there. We fixed it. Doesn't hurt anything, right? I'm a vandal. I'm like Banksy, really, when you think about it. Got a new team that will get in trouble. Okay. Square roots. I'm not explaining square roots to anybody. I draw the line at square roots. You should know what those are. Okay. With counting data, and this is what Shauna's stuff was, for some reason, and I'm not going to go into why. That's not weird. With counted data, you end up. So counting just means how many times did this happen? And Shada's stuff was how many times did people notice there was swearing? Okay. So uh, how many uh, how many f bombs did people notice in, the, in what they were supposedly listening to that was in another room? It's a neat experiment. And if the means are, and this, one of the things that happens off of count the data is the means of the groups are proportional to the variances. So if the mean doubles, the variance doubles. If the mean, one mean is three times bigger than the other, uh, the variance gets three times bigger. You don't want that. So you take the square root of the original number. Actually, you might add a constant first because you don't want to use imaginary numbers. You don't want to have negative numbers. So let's say you've got some negative numbers in, uh, or you've got some very small numbers. You might add a constant first. You gotta get, you're not going to get negative numbers to count the data. That's impossible. But you might get negative numbers if and you have uh, still the means proportional to the variance. Okay. Just add a constant. So that's another one. There's the reciprocal transformation. 
The reciprocal is just flipping it over, right? So the reciprocal of two is a half. This makes the range smaller because you're taking a whole bunch of whole numbers, perhaps, and turn them all into fractions, and I'll now between zero and one. And if that, that <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> yeah. so the variance can be smaller if the range is smaller, right? This is good with latencies. So you've got a latency. How long? Uh, how long does it take? to finish a task. Okay? And that's not an uncommon type of measure. In fact, my honestly, Samantha, who I was talking to today, is going to be doing stuff with, well, hers is also reaction time, so we might end up log transforming your data, but we might end up using reciprocals. Because all you're doing is changing time and speed, really. What about arc sign? Oh, trigonometry. And you said there'd be no trigonometry. I did not say that. I specifically said that trigonometry was exceedingly important. I don't think I said that either, but... How are we to know? It's not like these lectures are recorded. Oh, wait. They are. Okay, this is with proportions. This is another thing that we had to do to Sean's day. So you got a proportion or a percent? Same thing. What this does is it stretches out, and because of the way the mathematical function works, don't worry about it, but the way that the arc sign works is it stretches both tails out. And it's like, why would you want to do that? Well, you got proportions. Like, what's the, let's say you've got percentage correct, and it's two alternatives. What's the what's chance? 50%, right? So what are you going to get most of the time? You're going to get a lot in the big, beady part of the curve in the middle, 50, 60, 40, and very few at 100 or 0. So you're going to get more variance here and less variance at the tails. What I want to do is pull the tails out. And there's a way you can do that, and that's by taking the arc sign of a number. You actually don't just take the arc sign and take the square root of the number, then you multiply, then you take two times the arc sign of the square root. It's called the arc sign transformation, it's really two arc sign times the square root. So this is used very often. You'll see this, in fact, uh, if you guys start to read some of the literature, which I kind of encourage you to start doing because you're gonna have to do a literature review next year, or you've maybe done it so you already did one. You've been reading stuff. You may have had proportions, percent correct, things like that. And you'll see that it's transformed. You may have the intention that at the time, go back and take a look. You'll see it's transformed. So it's two arc signs square root. Proportions, percentages, that kind of thing. Okay, questions about these before I wrap this up? So the question you might ask really is when do you transform your data and not every chance you get. It's not the case that the first thing you do when you get a bunch of data is say, well, I'm going to do a bunch of arithmetic now. I'm going to take the logarithm and then the arc sign and then, I don't know, maybe I'll multiply them all times 30. Like, you don't just do that. Frankly, if you 
find a significant effect, you don't have to transform the data. It's so much easier because explaining to people you didn't explain to the common people, not to us. Right? So not us, we understand. But explaining out to the world that you had to actually take, do a transformation of your data. Like let's say you're giving your your your, your talk at your the honesties this day, and you give your talk in front of all the people in the are there, and those people from the community, and they always ask crazy questions that don't matter. Then you get a couple from me or some of the faculty and they're better questions. Right? General public asks questions like, uh, well not in my experience. And you go, okay. Um, it's fun, actually. The thesis day is great. It's coming up in a few weeks, right? Into March. Go to it. See what it's like. Support your, co- your student colleagues, your friends, but also see that it's not scary to do. You know why it's not scary to do? Because people don't ask good questions. The general public has no clue how this works. But the general public sees that you need two times arc sine square root transformation, and they go, I didn't take trigonometry. You don't want that. And frankly, you know what? A lot of people who have certain levels of sophistication in various scientific disciplines don't have that kind of sophistication. So they'll look and go, why did you do that? So it's easier to explain if you go, yeah, here, here's the data. It worked. Or here's the data. It didn't work. So you don't just do it as a matter of course. But if the variances are messy, you owe it to yourself to do this. And you pick a transformation based on these sort of rough guidelines I've given you. I've got these from all kinds of different sources, um, so I can't tell you exactly where it all comes from. Um, but just pick one of these. But if your data don't violate an assumption, you don't transform your data. And the assumption I'm carrying about here is, all, is always homogeneity variance. You can't, uh, if you don't have independent events, it doesn't matter what transformation you've done, you can't fix it. And you might say, what, what's messy? What does messy mean for variance? One is four times bigger than another. That's, that's the rule of thumb people use. It works okay. It's not always the case, but if you see one variance is four times bigger than another, um, and in fact, again, going back to Shauna's art thesis, Hers, she had data, it was one group that was like eight times bigger than another. And I said, well, it's right here. And she said, well, what am I supposed to do? And I said, you really did? Aren't you my TA in stats? She said, well, you did get key. So. You got a PhD? Neuroscience. Who's it? So you don't just do it as a matter of course, hard to explain. By the way, when you present your data in a graph, you don't present transformed data in a graph. Because no, I don't know what, I know what 100% means. I know what 50% means. I know what 0% means. I don't know what 2 times the arc sine square root of 100 is. Like, I just don't know that. I don't have arc sine tables in my head. So you always present the untransformed data in a paper, in a talk, but you talk about how you transform it. You have to mention that. Right? I'll say that a lot of people will think, oh, it's proportions. You have to do that transformation. My PhD supervisor said that. A lot of the stuff I was doing was, was percent correct. And she said, why didn't you, why didn't you transform it? I said, because I don't have to. It worked already. And she said, we well, should transform it. I said, I'm not going to do it. You don't have to. Why should we have No, no, no. And there's like one thing in the world anymore that she did. It was statistics. 
Everything else you know more about than me. And, and sports. Sports. And U.S. politics, probably. It was like three things. But that was it. The only professional thing, though, was, was stats. So she said, oh, I trust you on this. Questions on this stuff? Pretty straightforward. I hope. That's the plan, anyway. All right. And that wraps up our two mini lectures for today. or whatever podcatcher you're using, just search for Dr. Dave Broadbeck's Psychology Lectures from Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a uh, um, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you Feel free to share them 
uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, if you call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time.